Jesus. You're so beautiful, Jesus. We're so thankful for what you've done for us. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you Can stand against what a powerful 
just thank you we thank you for the gift of you we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit for the gift of Jesus for the gift of life of love the gift of existing we thank you
so welcome here. Just as I am, you welcome me. With open arms, how can this be? And my guilt is undone, my past is untethered.
Make us open, God. Make us open to your love. Father God, would you draw us close to you? Would you speak healing to our hearts in confidence? see us for our sin. You don't see us for our mistakes. You see us as your children, and we are dearly loved, and we were dearly seen. You see everything about us, and you love us still. Oh. 
God, we honor you today. We honor you, God. You are worth what we have. We're so thankful for you. Amen. Amen, yeah. Don't hold back. Ah, Jesus is good. He is so good. Thank you, team. It's wonderful. So we're going to get into our communion time. And so um, I think we have a declaration that we're going to say together. And this is another way of, of offering, of giving of ourselves, um, giving to the Lord in everything we do is also in our tithes and offerings. Uh, another way to praise Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's go ahead and stand. Right, here we go. As we receive today's offering, we are believing you for heaven open, earth invaded, storehouses unlocked, miracles created, dreams, visions, angelic visitations, anointings, giftings, divine manifestations, faith increased, heaven's declarations, provisions, and resources to go to the nations. Souls and more souls from every generation 
saved and set free, carrying kingdom revelation. Thank you, Father, that as I join my value system to yours, you will shower favor, blessings, and increase upon me. So I will have more than enough to co-labor with heaven to see Jesus get his full reward. Hallelujah. So at this time, you come on up, and um, there's a basket on that end of the stage and another one here. You guys hear that music playing? It's a raindrops on the roof. It is. It's crazy. It's hard to plan things in June, especially on weekends. <laughs> okay. Did we get those uh, video announcements, Caleb? No, they didn't come in? Okay. Well, lots of things on the radar. Uh, we've got a family camp coming up on uh, 4th of July weekend up at Lost Creek. I believe there's still some sites available. Please visit our website. Yeah. And, um, yeah, get ready to be blessed. Pastor Doug's coming on up. And uh, Max, I'd like to call uh, Max to come up and... Any other elders here? We'll pray for him. Yeah. That's not me, honestly. That could be me. Be close. All right. Why don't you extend your hands to, uh, to the front here, and let's pray for him. God, I just thank you so much for our pastor. Thank you, Lord, for the, the words that you've dropped into his heart, Lord. Mm. And just ask God that as he delivers those, that they would be the word of the Lord and that would minister to our hearts. God, prepare us to receive everything that you have for us, Jesus. Help continue to fulfill uh, dreams, uh, create visions. And um, help us to be content and have peace in the place that we're at right now. The place that this word uh, would just meet that place in each of us. You know our hearts. You know each and every one of us and our needs. And uh, just pray, God, that this word would just touch every one of us. And just bless our pastor and his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Am I on Matt? Ooh. Testing, one, two, test. Can you hear me now? How about over here? A little ringing, a little ringy. Is it still ringing? Test, test. Could we, Stephen, could you open up one of those doors? We'll open the door back there, get a little air flowing through. It's kind of humid, isn't it? What do you think of this rain? Isn't it awesome? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, hey, last week with Bill Vanderbush was over the top. Was that fun or what? 
I mean, I love stories, and I got a lot of stories, but who can top his story of how he met his wife? <laughs> who can say, at five years old, I met my future wife because her mother was belly dancing and dropped a sword on her foot and cut it, so my mom had to go help her. Who can say that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a story. He's coming back, and uh, he wants to bring his wife, and um, they'd like to do that uh, was it the four stories, the four sides of marriage and stuff? Uh, that would be such a hoot. So maybe this fall we can have them back, and that would just be a lot of fun to be part of that. So, well, this morning I want to preface what I'm sharing. Can we t take the tinniness out? Any of that, guys? Um, I'd like to preface where I'm going with kind of a word of caution. Okay. Um, I don't want to see any burning effigies of me or anything when this is over, but it's something I think we need to talk about. At this moment in history, there's so many elephants in the room, correct? There's a lot of stuff going on. And as a pastor, I feel it's my responsibility to speak the truth in love and to address issues of the heart that affect all of us. So with your permission or not, <laughs> this morning, this morning I'm going to go there. And uh, please, if I offend you, come talk to me. Don't send me scathing emails tomorrow morning. Don't light up my phone with text messages, flaming arrows, because I think most of you are going to agree with where, where we're going. And again, it's something I think we need to address. How many of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis and his writings? Ooh, quite a few of you. Awesome. The guy was a brilliant author. He was an evangelist, whether he said it or not, he was. So much of his writings have to do with Jesus, and, and he was a, he, probably a great deal of Lewis's writing took the form of allegorical retelling of Bible stories. He was a master at that. How many are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? The seven books, powerful books. If your kids or you have not read uh, any of C.S. Lewis's writings, you need to do it because it's powerful. And it really, he retells the gospel through imagery that's amazing. He was brilliant again. But in one of his last books in the Chronicle series was called The Last Battle. How many read The Last Battle? Okay, yeah, a few of us. Well, it was, it was depending on how you view it and where you're at, it, 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 kinda, it kinda is the story of the Antichrist. It's a story of the end of the world. It, it's, it's kind of like the book of Revelation, all tied up in a great story. It is the ultimate battle between good and evil. And in that book, he has a character named Shift. How many remember Shift? I'm going somewhere with this. Shift was a talking ape, okay? And, and he was a talking ape who lived near his friend, which will, really was his servant, a donkey named Puzzle. Okay, so here I'm painting this imagery for you. Now, as we go on, I think in your heart, if you kind of see what's going on here, go ahead and go ding, ding, okay? So, him and Puzzle, Shift and Puzzle, lived at the base of the great waterfall in the book. And they lived next to this pool, the cauldron pool. And, and out of the cauldron pool flowed the great river, which all the, went all the way through Narnia through the sea at the western, I believe, border of Narnia. The river flowed out of there. So, let's talk about Shift for a moment. Shift, as his name describes probably most of his personality, he was shifty. 
He was cunning. He was a liar. He was deceitful. Does that sound familiar? You ever known anyone like that? Don't, you don't have to point fingers or anything. But Shift had this ability to convince almost anyone into believing his actions and his words. Aside from his ability to manipulate others with his fabrication of fear and lies and all this, he had this incredible way of manipulating others into believing what he had to say was the real deal. Oh, no dings yet. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the ding. Yeah, now Puzzle, he was just a simple-minded little donkey. And, and although the two call each other friends, you see that Shift really treats Puzzle more like a servant. And he makes Puzzle do all of the things and all of his bidding for him that he doesn't want to do. So, as the story goes on, one day, Shift is looking at the pool, and he sees this, this big old lion skin come floating into the pool. And he demands that Puzzle get in the water, go out, get the, get the lion skin, bring it back, and put it on. And then he uses, he uses Puzzle as a pretend Oslin. Remember that in the story? As a pretend Oslin. And he tells the Narnians that Oslin has returned. He's back again. And so he begins to subtly uh, rule Narnia through this deception and trickery and deceitfulness. Everyone thought this Puzzle, for the most part, the donkey who had the lion skin on, that he was really actually the great lion Aslan. Now, if you know anything about Aslan in the stories, he is the major character in all of the Narnia series. In fact, I think he's mentioned in every one of the books in a powerful way. But he is known as the creator. Aslan the Lion is known as the true king of the world of Narnia. No dings yet. Hmm, interesting. He is a representation of everything that is good. Okay? That's Aslan. So in C.S. Lewis's fiction, we see a few things at play in this particular book. First, we see that the, that the, the Narnians are in, intuitively know that something isn't right with this Aslan. Something isn't right. It doesn't seem like the Aslan that they have been hearing about for generations. Oh, there you go. We're getting hot. We're getting hot. And then all of a sudden... Even though they know and they feel something isn't right, for some weird unknown reason, they ultimately fall captive to his deceptiveness, his cunningness, and they fall in line and begin to follow this phony, absolute phony Aslan. Secondly, we see that this fake Aslan, if you read the book, he preaches the same message as the real Aslan, but he has a new and twisted meaning. So, what is C.S. Lewis doing in this writing? Well, what he's doing is he's relaying to us that evil is the most deceitful when it looks like and feels like the truth. This place should be dinging like crazy. Okay, we're good with that. What Shift has done is he has successfully created a counterfeit Aslan. Right? That's what he did. And we're seeing the same scenario play out before us in the church today, and yet it is not fiction. What we're seeing is a counterfeit gospel that is coming under the guise of progressive Christianity. Wow. 
I thought I might get tarred and feathered, but let's keep going. <laughs> kind of like a counterfeit bill. You know, when you hand someone a $100 bill in the store, a lot of places now won't take $100 and $50 bills. But uh, you, you saw the pros. They'd take that $100 bill and woof, they'd hold it up to the light. And what are they looking for? A watermark. So what's going on is if, if you were to hold this doctrine, this new doctrine that's emerging in our midst of progression, progressive Christianity, you would, up to the light, it would be missing the water-faced mark of God. It looks like the real thing. It may feel like the real thing. But when you hold it up to the light, God has nothing to do with it. I'm telling you guys, this new progressive Christianity that we're hearing more and more about, I'm telling you, it is worthless, it is void of truth, and it robs the soul of true joy in Christ. Do not be deceived. And I am watching people being deceived, and it's breaking my heart, and I think it's time to stand up. There's a reason we have the sword of truth. We'll get into that in a moment. But... What they're doing is they're presenting another gospel, and people are buying into it. But here's what Paul says. There is no other gospel. And Galatians 1, turn there really quick, please. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 9. Here's Paul speaking. He says, I am astonished. That you are, so, you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is Paul. This was going on way back in his time. And he's saying, which is really no gospel at all. He said, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Even if... If we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and say it now, I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let them be under the curse of God. Whoa. What, 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 in, the case, in, in the case of the Galatians here, what Paul is really saying is he's addressing their attempt to return to the demands of the law. Rather than, rather than continuing to live by grace through faith and, and, and that atoning work of Christ on the cross. They're trying to step around all of that. And he's saying that such an attempt, guys, is really a bad idea because it would actually is going to result in coming under a curse and not under grace. And I would say, and venture to say, that the same exact warning applies today to the advocates of progressive Christianity. They are deceitfully, they are fully, and they fully promoting and proclaiming what I believe is a completely different gospel. And I'm telling you, that brings them under the curse of God. That's scary. Say it, I'm going to say it again. Progressive Christianity is not a gospel at all. I believe it has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If anything, its fruit is nothing but spiritual confusion and total chaos. And we're seeing that in the body of Christ today. When you, 
when you begin to encounter people and start talking about Jesus, it's so different than it was eons ago. We, we have done years of street witnessing and street ministry, and the people that you talk to on the street today is so different than the people we used to talk to years ago. If they didn't believe in what you said, they just walked away, and that was okay. But now they're saying things like, well, well I'm a Christian. I believe. I think it would be appropriate. I was talking to Max the other night, and I was going to ask Max to go here because he's smarter than me, but <laughs> he, he encouraged me to, to, to press on. But I wanted to come up with a definition of progressive Christianity. What, what's a, this is a tough one because it's kind of all over the charts. But progressive Christianity is a movement that really focuses strongly on social justice and environmentalism which are all really good, scriptural, powerful things. They are. They're truly there in the Word. But the problem is, is progressive Christianity often also includes a component of a revisionist. And that is someone who's ready to, willing and able, and they want to sit down and they want to rewrite the policy. They want to revise or modify the original language of the original words. That's a revisionist. That's what they do. And it could be said that that progressive Christians have this non-traditional view of the scriptures. That is frightening to me. So since, since this movement entails a number of different beliefs and various views on different topics, it would really be hard to label the whole movement as either biblical or unbiblical because, because social justice and environmentalism are actually real deals. God's word says take care of the homeless, take care of the poor, take care of the widow, take care of the... Jesus said the poor is always going to be with you. And the word is beautiful about taking care of the needs of the poor. I'm all in. It's also very clear on taking care of the world around us. God said, hey, take care of the garden. You guys take care of it, man. Take care of the world. We have a responsibility to take care of the environment. I'm all in on that. I don't have a problem with that. But what I look at here is what is their in-game goal? What is the in-game goal of progressive Christianity? What are they really after? What, what's behind the push behind this? And I wrote here, it's bent on casting doubt and undermining the foundational principles that we find in God's word. That's what it's after. And it challenges, challenges the inerrancy of God's word. We, mostly everyone in this room, believes that the scriptures of God are infallible. They're the real deal. They're in stone. Amen. They don't. They don't. Second Timothy actually says in chapter 3, 15 through 17, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Totally contradicts the progressive doctrine. Totally. So each claim, guys, and you probably know this, but each claim or belief that comes along from any movement needs to be filtered through the lens of God's word. And if it doesn't fit or doesn't line up with God's word, it needs to be thrown out. That's my humble opinion. And I believe in that with all of my heart. But this morning, I want to very quickly look at some of the core ideas or words that you're going to hear coming from a progressive Christianity crowd. And these words are fragmenting through the body of Christ like shrapnel. Okay? 
They go far, they go deep, and you find that shrapnel in some of the weirdest places. But this is what's happening. And I'm telling you, in this moment, we've got to be guarding our hearts and our minds with the full armor of God. We've got to be willing to strike back with the sword of truth. This is why it's so important for you to know the word. It's so important you know the word and you know the author of the word. God will empower you to use his word to be able to combat against this evil. What did Jesus do when he was being tempted by the, by the enemy, by Satan himself in the wilderness? He used the word. You've got to know the word. That doesn't mean you're having an argument with them. A lot of times you can't even talk to these people, but you will know the truth and you'll know when to veer away and when not to veer away. You'll know when to stand and you know when to just simply go, you know, I need to go over here for a moment. So here's some of these core things that you're going to hear. But before I go there, let me say this. I do not believe that the issue is progressives. I don't. I don't have a problem with that. I believe it's with progressives who say they're Christians, who profess Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what I have a problem with. Here's a glimpse of some of the things you'll hear coming from their mouths. And you'll be in crowds, you'll be out sharing with people talking, or maybe even family members, other family members that attend different churches. You may hear things like, hey, the Bible is fallible. The Bible's got some holes in it. It's got some errors in it. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, no. But you'll hear that coming from their lips. Here's the biggie. You'll hear, you'll hear something like, you know that Romans 1, 20, that 1, chapter 1, 26, 27 that talks about homosexuality, you know, that passage, you know, that, that needs to lose its wallop. We need to tear that one out of the book. You will hear that in that progressive Christianity dogma. You will hear that. And we're seeing that today. We are so blessed to live in a somewhat isolated world here. But I'm telling you, it's right outside our walls. It's right outside our city. It's right outside these mountains. And it's coming. And you better know truth. Because that's what's going to keep you free. They'll say, well, the Romans 126, I read it. I'm not going to read it. We've got kids in here today. Anyway, it's a very, oh, man, it really lays it out. How God gave them over to their shameful lusts. And how men and women, they got this all perverted and mixed up. And in the end, they're going to receive a penalty for their error. It really talks about this stuff. Same-sex marriage, it talks about this stuff. Progressive Christianity, that's all right. God is good. He's not judging me. I can do this. It's not in the book. You'll hear things like, God made me gay. I know. But that's what they say. You know, if you were to look at some of the, a, a quick glimpse of the, the heretical trinity of the progressive doctrine, here's some of the things you would find, just quickly. The Bible is fallible. That's one of their creeds. The Bible is fallible. And the basis of their progressive doctrine is this, is the idea that the Bible is in so much error, it's okay if you sit down and you discard some of the scripture as irrational and outdated and some of the other texts can remain holy. Who, who gives them the right or the ability to be God in that moment and sit down and take their own book and start cutting pages out they don't agree with? Yeah, yeah, dad, Satan, you got it. It's terrible. But somehow they think they can do that. And they push into that. 
and they do just that. Guys, the idea that the Bible is, is fallible is nothing new. We have watched other faiths for years discredit the Bible. That's nothing new. But here's what's new, is that those who claim that the Bible is fallible mm, also call themselves Christians. That started out kind of tongue-in-cheek when that first started, but now it's insanity. I believe the Bible's fallible. It's got a lot of holes in it. One of the things I heard one time a guy sharing, he says, like, hey, I said, like what? He said, take the book of Job. I said, okay, let's talk about the book of Job. All his wise counselors were a bunch of jokesters. It was the worst counsel in the world, which it was. They gave Job some really crummy counsel. But you got to look at the full context of what was going on. They don't want to read anything else. It's kind of like, let's have a conversation about this in the scriptures. And, and what will happen is it's like, okay, but then you reach this keynote part, and all of a sudden they go, I'm done. Whoa, 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 I listened to you. By the way, thank you for letting me listen to you, but when you, can I share a little bit here? Can we? No, no, I'm done. And they walk away. For example, I wrote, many progressive discard texts from the book of Romans speaking on homosexuality, while other times they'll also dismiss scriptures that speak on hell because it doesn't fit their narrative. Now, guys, we, we can approach this from a place of amazing grace. I'm not here to being the hammer and bring the smack down on people that are in error. I love what Bill said when Daniel released grace on those who were persecuting him. I think we can learn to release grace on these people, God's empowering presence. And if we're carrying it and we begin to engage in a person in this kind of conversation and, and we realize really quickly it's circle talk, I believe that in the spirit we can release a grace that lifts the veil off their eyes and they're able to see truth for the first time. So note that, okay? I'm not a hammer guy. I got a good right hook, but I'm not a hammer guy. <clears throat> the bottom line to me in, all of the, in, in this particular one is that those, there was a time, again, when those who disagreed with the scripture, they simply denounced Christ and they walked away, right? It wasn't this issue, but what we're seeing today is these large waves of people who are denouncing scripture but they're staying under the Christian umbrella instead of leaving the faith, which is causing incredible division and confusion in the body of Christ. That's what's happening. Another one is many saviors. They believe there's many ways to heaven. Once again, that teaching is not new. But again, what's new is the idea is that a lot of them claim that you can be a follower of Jesus, but they also claim that Jesus is not the mediator between God and man, which totally contradicts the word of God in 1 Timothy 2.5. There is only one God. There is only one mediator, not five or 10 or 15 mediators. There is only one mediator between God and mankind, and that man is Christ Jesus. Amen. That's what the word says. I, I encourage you guys to <laughs> Google this I, and go on and look at the pro, 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 progressive Christian creed and their dogma 
there's like eight things they really nailed to the, to the stick on. And they're, you just start reading them and you go, your heart begins to break because these are people that grew up believers and somewhere in the journey they drifted away from the truth. The other thing is this abused grace issue. Here's one scripture that's literally ripped out of the mouth of Satan. It comes out of Genesis 3, uh, verse 4. It says, remember when Jesus, or, uh, Eve is having the conversation with Satan about the fruit and all that stuff, and she's like, but God said, I'm going to paraphrase, but God said, don't eat it because you'll surely die if you eat this. What does he say? Satan pops up and he says, you will not certainly die. You're not, that's, that's a fairy tale. If you violate God's laws, and it's, it, you're not going to die. It's all good. And so many of these people are deceived through this doctrine here, this progressive doctrine, that they claim that there's no need to repent of sin because God is good, which I believe that God is good, and I believe he's good all the time, but it, it was his goodness that made a way for us to be in his presence. Amen. Right? Wow. You know, conviction to them is like a four-letter word, and it's to be avoided like the plague. And, and, and you will, they have this, you don't need to repent because God is all loving, and God is, God, God is always good, and, and he's got your back, and you know what? I'm a good person. God's not going to hold all those evil, wicked things I did against. God, there's no need for me to go there. I'm a good person. How many have heard that one? I'm sharing. Hey, I'm a good person. Those are some of the hardest people to break through on. But I'm telling you, we're going to really get into this releasing grace and the reckless grace that I think God just wants to pour out on people through us. I think that has the ability to punch through that and allow people to see what's really going on. So do you guys see what's happening? There's a false copy of the gospel. It was born many years ago. And it's, being, and it's being, for the most part, unchallenged. Are you ready to challenge this? Are you really ready to step into the fray and say, you know what? I'm going to stand up. I'm going to be heard. I'm going to learn and do my due diligence. And by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go out. I'm going to love on these people. I'm going to release the grace of God on these people. I'm going to watch God do what he does best, change people's hearts. I'm telling you, argument will not change their hearts. But I'm telling you, when you love people in a supernatural way, it releases the presence of God on them and over them, and it changes something. It may be slow, it may be over a season of time, but it'll begin to, and pretty soon that frozen, rusted nut starts coming off, and they're set free. You know, I wrote here, it's a false doctrine that's emerging to look identical to the truth. It was born from a deceived church with unrepented hearts that would rather change the word of God than submit to its authority. I can't tell you how many people I've run into that say, I love God. I love God. Well, have you given your heart? And it, really what it comes down to is this issue of now I have to be accountable for my sins. And I don't want to be accountable. I like the idea that God is just nothing but love and woohoo. There's a price to pay. Oh my goodness. The progressive doctrine has a father, and that father long ago said in Isaiah 14 14, if you know the story, it's Lucifer who became Satan. He was beautiful, 
He was in charge of worship. He was the bright and morning star. And, and he was, oh, I guess, amazing. But he says, pride. He said, I will ascend high above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high God. Man, what a bold and powerful statement. And that's when the war in heaven started. Man, read, read Revelation chapter 12, man. That's when it happened. There was a huge battle in heaven, Revelation talks about, where, where man, one-third of the angels in heaven fight the other two-third, and there's this huge battle, and a third of them are thrown to the earth. Man, I will. It's a whole pride thing, man. The best way, the very best way to deceive is to offer something that looks like truth, but it's not. That's what's happening in the last battle, the story in Narnia series. It, it's something that looked like the real thing, but it wasn't. And the people in the journey had lost their ability to really figure out which one is true. And they kind of blindly fell in like a bunch of lemons and just walked in behind it. I am not that guy. And I will not be a pastor of a church that just follows the status quo. We will always, yeah, we will always push forward. We'll always push through. But we're going to love people in the process. We're not going to be out there on the streets holding signs of hate and division. That's not who we are. We're going to go out and embrace humanity and love them by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Church, let's be aware. Let's not be deceived. Jesus is not in the progressive church. They will tell you he is, but he is not. And I'm telling you, he will have nothing to do with them. He won't. Isaiah 520 says this, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I think woe unto them is a pretty good warning. You know, Timothy tells us in chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. We are to take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is one of the clearest commands, I believe, in the Bible, <clears throat> that we are to fight the good fight of faith, okay? But what is this fight about? What is it really about? Well, Paul specifies, and he makes it very clear, it's about our Christian faith. It's about what we hear and hold dear to our hearts, and, and it's about the battleground for the fight. It's about preserving the faith and, and, and keeping it intact for generations to come. There's a reason for that. Jude wrote, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I'll read that again. Jude says in Jude 1.3, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all. That doesn't mean constant delivery. It just means once for all, the faith was delivered. So the faith that has already been delivered runs all the way from the beginning of Genesis all the way through to Revelation. The faith is contained within those bookends. It's all been poured out. And there is a battle. There is a battle going on. It's a battle for truth. And guys, we've got to be diligent and we've got to work hard to preserve what has already been delivered to the saints. There is a measure of faith here. 
Can we stand and can we fight for it? You know, we're not expecting any new deliveries according to this scripture, uh, this scripture because it was once and for all delivered. It's one of those scriptures you read and you're reading, you go, what? It's all here now? It's like every one of us has been given a measure of faith. Now, we can grow in that faith and increase in that faith as we grow in God. But what we've been given and we've been given, if we don't contend for the faith in this moment and in this season, I'm telling you, we're going to leave the next generation uh, with a country and with a culture mm, that has no respect for truth. I don't want to raise up a generation of, of young people in the church that have no respect for the truth. And I'm telling you, it's slipping through our fingers if we don't stand up and fight for it. And I'm going to leave you with this. If we, if, let's just say for a moment, and examine your own heart. I don't want to meddle, but I will here for a moment. When you hold up your truth to the light, does it show you the watermarked face of God? Only you and you alone can answer that. When you take your faith and you hold it up to the light, can you see the watermarked face of God in your faith and in what you believe? If you do not, or if it's wavering or if it's starting to kind of fade out, then it's time for a reboot. It's time to recenter. It's time to get on your knees. Oh, I don't need to repent. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And we'll grace you in that. I'll, we'll love you into a health, healthy place. You know, part of my job is making sure people stay healthy. And it's not fun preaching stuff like this. Next time I share, I want to get into just how wonderful God's word is and how powerful it is and how we can navigate any storm when we know and understand how infallible God's word really is. Amen. Um, but next week, we have a surprise. We have a surprise speaker next week. It is Father's Day, which is kind of cool. So dads, we got something for you too, I believe. But you guys got to be here next week, Father's Day. I'm just excited about who's coming to share. And um, I hope I didn't strike fear in their heart right now, but I'm pretty excited with what's going on. But let's stand. It is so muggy. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? A lot of times in counseling, I love to, we talk and we talk and they talk, I talk, we talk. And then in the end, I love to ask, what did you hear me say? And sometimes you're like, what? I didn't say anything like that. Let's, let's back it up. You know, let's take it back to the beginning here. Whoa. But I hope you're hearing me say that there is another doctrine out there being spoken. And it's not, it's not God's heart. It's not the gospel of Jesus. And we, it's melding and trying to force its way into the church. And man, it's not going to end well for them if we fight the good fight of faith. But hear me, we're not beating on people. We're not standing on the street and yelling at people. We're not doing that. We're going to love these people. And we're going to ask God to release his grace upon these people. So Father, I just pray that in this moment, I ask God that you would go down the corridor of our heart and if we've got malice or contempt or anything towards anyone, God, maybe, maybe someone in our family who doesn't believe like us and we're mad and we're torqued and Father, oh, I just ask that you would release your amazing grace on us. Oh, 
that would allow us to embrace them, not embrace their truth, God, but to embrace them with your amazing grace and release your presence on their life in such a powerful way. They would have to ask, what is it that you have? Because what I believe in isn't anything close to what I see changing your life. Thank you, God. Father, I pray for peace over our tribe. I pray for prosperity. I pray for open heavens, God. In, in terms of prosperity, I pray for provisions and resources from some of the wildest places, God. I pray that you would begin to release this thought of a tithing of time where they could give their self in a, in a moment of time to whatever you're doing and be all in. Thank you, God. And I pray, God, that uh, thank you for the rain, God. It's so wonderful. And I just pray that when we come back next week, we will be changed a little more into your image and we'll just have a, a, a great week, a great moment of just being in your presence. And we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you need prayer, we have people that would love to pray for you. So please don't go without prayer. Come on up. We'd love to pray over you and pray for you. Amen? amen. God bless you. Have a glorious day. No, I'm, yeah, it, it wasn't, yeah, no, it, it was, it was tithe and offering, yeah, it was tithe and offering, but if you want to take communion, come on up, I mean.